Welcome back to Restorative Grief with Mandy Capehart. You are listening to episode 34, titled Widening Our Window of Tolerance. The window of tolerance is a concept to help us check in with ourselves and return our nervous system to a grounded position when we are experiencing grief or trauma from any source. If this is a completely new concept for you, I recommend going back and listening to episode two titled Opening a Window, where we discussed the window of tolerance in a flyover concept. Because today, I want to go deeper into managing our window of tolerance through self-regulation practices. Hopefully, by the end of this, you will have at least one go-to tool for grounding when everything seems too big, too noisy, or too much. I think it's fair to say that right now, all of our nervous systems are on high alert between the politics, school shootings, wars, the pandemic, things seem bleaker than ever. I am personally working overtime to regulate my own nervous system and succeeding about 60% of the time. Everything around us right now is horrific. Of course, there's always good in the world, but that doesn't mean we have to push aside our pain and just appreciate the beauty that exists. We need to learn how to come alongside our nervous system and support, changing how we navigate loss and tragedy altogether. The first step in widening our window of tolerance when we are faced with stressors or grief is acknowledging that all our internal responses are just our nervous system at work. In an ideal season of life, our nervous system alerts us to stressors and we navigate those with self-awareness and measured responses. I actually love the description of our window of tolerance as a river. When you float down a river, the wider parts of the river see the flow of water moving more slowly, allowing us to feel relaxed and in control. We can see any disruptions as they approach and make a plan to navigate them intentionally. But when the river is more narrow, the water moves quickly and floating down it can feel less safe, to say the least. That faster movement can lead us into dysregulation. And this is where we start to finally feel overwhelmed, recognizing that we're out of energy or a little uncomfortable. We're not necessarily out of control, but maybe we feel like we're losing track of time or tasks. We might also go the other way where we feel agitated, anxious, and start feeling upset really easily. Again, we're uncomfortable, but not yet out of control. This is the opportunity we have to disrupt the natural self-protection of our nervous system to fight, flee, or freeze. And the strategies we employ to do so begin with our awareness. Noticing these moments of dysregulation empowers us to partner with our nervous system It's an incredible feeling to notice your own agitation, to pause, and recognize that you need and want to try something different in the moment. So let's transition and talk about the strategies. Because we use a whole self model at Restorative Grief, we're going to look at what it means to widen the river or reopen the window of tolerance through methods of connecting with our mind, heart, body, and spirit, the whole self model of healing. You may relate to only one of these in particular, and that's great. You only really need one good strategy to disrupt your spiraling nervous system and get it to a place where you can ask for more help. So I'm going to unpack four strategies, one for each area of our whole self. We're also talking about this actively in the Restorative Grief Project, my private coaching group that's currently hosted on Facebook. So feel free to request a membership 
because it's free and private and meaningful. It's a great place for you to have a chance to converse with others about this hard season we are all in the middle of. So let's start with the mind. Practicing mindfulness is a somewhat nebulous offering if you're unclear on what that can mean, but it simply means to come back into the present moment by bringing your thoughts to your surroundings. You can become aware of surroundings through the 54321 exercise. You might be familiar with it already. You identify five things that you can see, four things that you can feel, three things that you can hear, two things that you can smell, and one thing that you can taste. You can also observe something in the room with you more intentionally, noticing the curves of it or the edges, picking up a statue or a paperweight and feeling the weight of it in your hands. Whatever brings your mind back to the present reality where you are in that moment without allowing judgmental thoughts or interruptions. Observe whatever brings your mind back to the present reality where you are seated in that moment without allowing judgmental thoughts or interpretations to interrupt the practice. I find so many people are resistant to a practice like this. And to be fully honest, I think it's pride. As if some of us should be superhuman, able to resist basic instincts like a misfiring nervous system. And if that's you, I am lovingly asking you, give your nervous system a chance to ask for help. So that brings me to the heart and reducing shame. The shame we experience after dysregulation or even moving beyond dysregulation into what's known as hypoarousal or hyperarousal is so limiting. It's so unkind. Shame and pride prevent us from accessing simple tools like mindfulness and tell us we are intimately defined by our emotions and our actions, neither of which is true. We can feel sad without being a sad person. I hope that makes sense. Inherently, our being is only informed by our emotion, but when shame controls the narrative, it can be very overwhelming to consider challenging those heavy emotions or challenging the notion that they define who we are. Which leads me to a practice for your heart that most of us try to avoid. My friends, journaling is not just for writers. It is for anybody that needs to express something. It has nothing to do with actually having a message to communicate or something to say. Expression is often wordless. So I want you to challenge your wild emotions when your river narrows or your window closes by writing them down. You don't have to write a full sentence. Think of this as an exercise in expanding your vocabulary. Often in grief and stress, we don't have the language we need to express what we are experiencing. There are this beautiful emotion wheel tools available all over the internet, and I'll link to one in the show notes, that can help you identify comfortable and uncomfortable emotions in a way that take you from saying something as clear as, I'm angry, down to something as specific as, I'm offended, or I feel insulted, I feel let down, or I'm resentful. The specificity gives us clarity, and that clarity brings vision that's necessary for us to identify shame and eradicate it at the source. Have you ever felt shame in your body? I have. So let's move on to the physical. Sometimes we mistake the physical experiences of the nervous system as an ache or a pain from another season of life, like an old injury or a headache that's simply due to lack of water intake. But the truth is, 
Shame that we are scared, stressed, or grieving also manifests in our body. Moving away from dysregulation in our bodies means engaging those senses again, like in our first 54321 exercise, but with the intention to go beyond grounding and into expression, truly learning to embody the thing that we need to reconnect with our physical self. Try engaging your senses with movement, smells, massage, food, music, all the comfort things that you do that remind you to be present and safe. Maybe you need an angry run, and if you can do it safely, then go for it. I also highly recommend dancing or even just shaking parts of your body. I once watched a video of a gazelle who had survived an attack. She was stunned and frozen, but as the video went on, she slowly began shaking her entire body as she rose from the ground, eventually returning to her life and walking away. I hope right now you're shaking your hands as you listen, because you're an animal with a bigger brain. You should try it, even if it makes you feel a little silly, because you might be surprised at how differently you feel. And lastly, let's talk about the spirit. Speaking of feeling a little silly, right? This can be such a source of pain for us as we grieve and we should all over ourselves as if our spiritual side shouldn't ever feel bad. (laughs) But the truth is that what once felt like a deep connection to others, the world, ourselves, or our faith practice can feel numb or even painful to touch. But if there was ever a time for some quiet and reflection, this is it. This is where we pause and decide. Do we want to reconnect with our spiritual side right now? If so, we need to move toward ourselves again with breath work, self-hugs, even when they feel silly, and stillness. There are actually a few yoga poses that I love for moments like this that are so restful. Corpse pose, where you just lie very still on a flat surface, or leg up the wall pose, which is exactly what it sounds like. (laughs) They take mobility, but partnered with mindfulness, they can be one of the most restorative practices. With any type of grief work, the purpose is to rebuild our connections to self, others, and the world around us by fostering wellness and uncovering our purpose through value work. I know this is no small task, and there are plenty of episodes on this show that can help you learn more about how to do all of those things. But more than anything, I want you to consider this one last thing about all these pieces of advice around self-care, because this is all a version of taking care of yourself, right? We live in a culture that defines self-care as treating yourself to expensive gifts, upgrading your cell phone, or taking a day off of work and visiting a spa. But the truth is, self-care isn't truly revolutionary unless it's accessible to everyone. We don't all have the privilege to take a day off or blow money on expensive new things, or even change the type of food we eat for a day. But our nervous system was created before cupcakes. My apologies to the cupcake aficionados. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with the occasional treat, no matter what shape it takes. But truly caring for ourselves means recognizing that as we increase the feel-good chemicals our nervous system perceives as safety signals, we start to feel more settled and in control. We widen our window of tolerance. And we do this through accessible actions like laughter, movement, sunshine, cold showers, creativity, going outside, listening to music, meditation, physically connecting with others, creating intimacy, and so many more things. It's a long list. And every single thing on that list 
widens our window of tolerance, and increases our true resilience in a lasting, genuine, and meaningful way. Thank you for listening to episode 34 of Restorative Grief. I want to say quickly, because we ended on the conversation of resilience, that it's easy to believe that our resilience comes from simply surviving the myriad traumas we experience in life. But our current culture actually created a pseudo-resilience that we hold on to by teaching us that we had to cope and compartmentalize instead of processing our wounds and integrating our stories into our sense of self. Resilience isn't built through repression, but through confession of our pain and connection to ourselves and others. If this is your first time listening to Restorative Grief, thank you for choosing such a meaningful episode to join us on. I hope you'll choose to subscribe and please leave a review wherever you listen because those reviews are exactly how you help other grievers and grief supporters find us as a resource when they need it the most. And that's the whole reason the show exists. And one last thing, the only solution for grief is to do the work of grieving. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week.